This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Now, U.S. President Joe Biden may have scored some recent wins with a global corporate tax agreement and making some headway with a nuclear agreement with Iran. But he had bigger fish to fry at the G20 summit in Rome on its last day on Sunday. Yeah, get this. According to a senior official, American negotiators were pushing for concrete progress from the summit on reducing methane emissions, decarbonizing the global power sector and ending international financing for coal projects. Mm. In addition, of course, Mr. Biden has been keeping himself busy with other key meetings. For one, he sought to smoothen things out with French President Emmanuel Macron following the ruckus over the AUKUS nuclear pact that rubbed France the wrong way. And of course, U.S. President meeting on the sidelines with Turkey's Recep Tayyip Erdogan amid tensions over defense and human rights. Now, let's get a lowdown of the Biden administration's agenda at the G20 and what we can expect from the upcoming COP26 climate summit in Glasgow, which started on Sunday. We're joined now by Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Now, Nirmal, President Biden has just perhaps calmed the fires at home with domestic issues, namely the political tussle over a huge infrastructure bill. Now, in the international arena, he's obviously facing a different set of challenges. What do you see as some of the key strides Biden has been making? Good morning. Well, they have all agreed on limiting temperature rise to a maximum of 1.5 Celsius above pre-industrial levels as a common goal for G20 nations. But the plans, the finance, the initiatives to get there still look a bit thin. Essentially, the idea is for G20 countries to hit net zero emissions by or around mid-century. This requires them to accelerate actions, as they say, and commit to scale up adaptation finance, balance that with mitigation and address the needs of other countries in terms of mechanisms, conditions, access to technology and so forth. So there are some good things in there, including an acknowledgement of methane emissions. The major culprit there is the livestock industry, particularly beef. Climate activists and organizations like Greenpeace, the World Resources Institute and so forth are calling this underwhelming. One key point they make is that in order to get to this goal and given that climate related crises are accelerating, getting to that goal requires stopping any new fossil fuel development now. And that is not happening. There is no new progress on dialing back or eliminating fossil fuels at the rate which is required. So again, the G20 leaders calling to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius is very significant. But at COP26, all this needs to be backed up. And that means urgently scaling up climate finance. Now, no more. perhaps one of the most significant meetings that Joe Biden has had on the sidelines of the summit is that with Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan. Let's get into details on what they discussed and what has the meeting resulted in. Yes, well, according to the official readout here, among other things, they discussed the humanitarian situation in Afghanistan, they discussed Syria, and they discussed elections in Libya and issues in the wider Middle East. And the president talked about the importance of strong democratic institutions, respect for human rights, and so forth. Now, President Biden also reaffirmed the defense partnership and Turkey's importance for NATO, but he mentioned American concerns over Turkey's buying of the Russian S-400 missile system. Now, as we know, this has been a problem for a while. Turkey was, in 2019, kicked out of the deal to buy F-35 fighter jets from the U.S. because of this purchase of the Russian system. 
Now Turkey says it wants the cheaper F-16s, but that is also clouded by the S-400 missile issue. Turkey is saying we allotted $1.4 billion to the deal for the F-35s to give us F-16s for that. The U.S. has still to say an outright yes to that, but they did discuss it at this meeting and teams from the two countries' defense ministries have also been discussing this. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Now, Normal, another delicate relationship the U.S. has to manage, of course, is its relationship with China. Both nations struck a conciliatory note at the summit. Uh, this meeting was led by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. And one of the key points of discussion was, as one would expect, Taiwan. Tell us more how this could bear an impact or have an impact on a yet unresolved U.S.-China relationship. Right. So they met for an hour, which is a good thing because, as many have said, it is important to have open lines of communication and face-to-face meetings in order to navigate this very thorny relationship. This was the second meeting between the two. The first in March in Anchorage was very hostile. This meeting was described as exceptionally candid, so clearly they did not mince words, but it was also described as productive and helpful towards a virtual summit before the end of the year between President Biden and President Xi of China, a virtual summit again. On Taiwan, apparently Secretary Blinken made it quote-unquote crystal clear that Washington opposes any unilateral changes by Beijing to the status quo there. This comes as we have, of course, been seeing a significant increase in Chinese military exercises in Taiwan's air defense identification zone. China, of course, claims Taiwan as part of its own territory and views any foreign intervention over Taiwan as interference in its domestic affairs. Now, Mr. Blinken made clear, apparently, that Washington has not changed its one-China policy regarding Taiwan. He also raised concerns about Chinese actions that, and I'm citing a State Department official here, undermine the international rules-based order and run counter to U.S. values and interests. And these included human rights, Xinjiang, Tibet, Hong Kong, and the Eastern South China Seas as well. And on climate, ahead of the COP26, Mr. Blinken urged China to fulfill its obligations as a responsible power in terms of limiting emissions, the official said. Now, just a few hours ago on Sunday morning in D.C., Mr. Blinken was on CNN and he refused to specifically endorse an earlier comment from President Biden that had caused everyone to sit up that the U.S. would defend Taiwan if it was attacked by China. Instead, he emphasized general support to Taiwan. Now, as for trade tensions, the U.S. is reviewing the tariffs placed on China by the previous regime in Washington, the Trump administration. And there is a process of negotiating and strategizing as to what to do going forward. So far, they have not cut back on any of those tariffs. And some China hawks are reportedly proposing more tariffs on certain Chinese industrial sectors which are subsidized by the state. The contours and details of a new policy, if it is new, have yet to emerge. The Biden administration wants to continue to be tough with China, but it also wants to give some relief to American industries affected by counter tariffs and Americans hit by price increases. They have to keep inflation in check at home. The thinking is they can be more strategic, more precisely targeted in their approach, fine-tune it, if you will. Normal, the U.S. has also mended some ties with the European Union, seemingly repairing damage left behind by Donald Trump. And this included a spat over tariffs on steel and aluminium and even some progress on rejoining the 2015 Iran nuclear pact. What more can you tell us? Yes, the United States will not apply Section 232 duties and will allow duty-free importation of steel and aluminium 
from the European Union at a historically based volume, and in exchange, the European Union will suspend related tariffs on U.S. products. Now, these tariffs were imposed by the Trump administration in 2018 to protect America's steel and aluminium industry. And the U.S. will also create a technical working group which will be charged with sharing relevant data and developing a common methodology for assessing the issue of how much steel and aluminium contributes to carbon emissions. And they intend to negotiate for the first time a global arrangement to address carbon intensity and global overcapacity in steel. Very ambitious goals, but unclear how soon these goals can actually be reached. Now, Nirmal, the end of the G20 summit also marks the start of the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow this week. Tell us what you think we can expect from the U.S. delegation. President Biden arrives in Glasgow with a significant new goal that is $555 billion worth of climate-related spending. But his big climate spending plan at home isn't law yet, and tensions with China and mistrust of the U.S. on climate are also working against him. So he has vowed to halve U.S. emissions by 2030 and has proposed at home the most far-reaching climate bill of any president in history. Again, this is not quite passed yet. Partly because of that, the ability of the U.S. to reach that target is unclear, absent the new bills that, however, the Democrats hope will be passed by Congress early this week. The U.S. has also been leaning hard on China to set more ambitious targets in Glasgow. So far, Beijing has only said its emissions will continue to grow but will decline before 2030. And China, like others, is also wary of the United States' ability to fulfill its emissions and finance targets. So while COP26 is the last chance for decisive action, whether it will end up like its predecessors, most of which produced too little too late, is the question. Hopes are not particularly high. But if Congress passes these bills, which include $900 billion for dealing with climate change at home, the U.S. will at least be able to say, look, we are committed at home. So the outlook for something really significant coming out of Glasgow will be just a tad more positive. Right. Thanks very much for that analysis. Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.